Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. All right, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. I'm really excited for our guest today, Nancy Margulies. She has produced two documentaries, authored two short-term fiction books, and wrote and performed in two one-woman theatrical shows. She's also conducted key workshops for Pachima Alliance and SAND, that's Science and Non-Duality, and participated in the Elders Action Network. She's very active in refugee relocation and support and a true proponent for social good. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Nancy. As a visionary, what is the story that you want to bring to the world? I think one story that feels really pertinent to me now is that we we don't recognize the value of really deeply listening to one another and connecting across differences. We're sort of spinning out into two very distinct camps. And even people who are generally very kind and thoughtful are sounding pretty angry these days, judgmental and so on. And I think there's simple processes that can enable us to reach out to other people, whether we agree with them or not on politics, for example, um, and make a difference from there. I think it's critical. I, I, I find this fascinating because I, I feel like even though we all like to think we're good communicators, we're actually bad communicators or inefficient, right? We're not speaking the other person's language. And I, I actually feel like we don't listen to each other, right? And, and so what you're talking about really resonates with me. And I'm just kind of curious why that is, because I feel like the problem's getting worse, not better, even though all these things are out there talking about, here's ways to be an effective listener. Yeah. I mean, if you're conversing in order to persuade someone else or even inform them, um, you're coming from one mindset. If you engage in a conversation with where your main goal is to learn something, listen to learn, um, even no matter what. So rather than planning what you might say, this is really basic kind of stuff, but it makes such a difference. Uh, so when we do a, a process like the World Cafe, for example, we tell people first, you're going to be sitting at little cafe tables, just like you would do in a real cafe among friends. But we want we want you to engage in a conversation where together you're inquiring about something you don't know and where you want to be sure you learn something from each person who's speaking. You want to be sure each person's included. And some of those very simple guidelines lead to conversations that generate really creative thinking and people feel heard, they feel connected, they feel they've formed friendships they might not have had with somebody they just met. So if you set up the right circumstances, the right environment, I think I think we, we're capable of really connecting pretty quickly. I, I agree with that. And I, and I believe in that notion of getting people to understand each other's differences by listening better. But when you say that, it reminds me of a few decades ago when Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey had members of the KKK on her show and other white supremacists. And clearly there was a lot of anger in that room. And at this moment in time with the riots that are going on all over the U.S. right now, there is a lot of anger to your point earlier. How would you say that, you know, you have two people for the sake of discussion, let's imagine that one is on the left, one is on the right, right, whatever the issue is that are so divided. How can you even get those two people in a room to begin to do the exercise that you're speaking of, Nancy? 
Well, it's challenging. If you're just talking about two people in a conversa- in any random conversation, I might ask them, "Is <clears throat> you hold a certain opinion, is there any, any area in which you're not absolutely sure? Where, let's say there's, the example that comes to my mind because it raged for so long was pro-life and, um, and anti and, and pro-abortion. But if you ask people who hold those two different points of view, in what ways is there any gray area, any area where you're not 100% sure, or maybe it doesn't always apply, and people will just let go of these really hard boundaries and meet somewhere in the little shades of gray, it can make a difference. Or if it's a racial issue, you know, not all black people have the same opinion. Not all white people have the same opinion. We're, right. And, and you got if you meet someone else, you got to assume that they, there's some nuance and variety in, in where they stand. So, you know, anytime that we're categorically talking about a whole group of people, if we just stop and deal with the specifics and assume that there's an enormous variety among all groups of people. Um, so I think that can be helpful. Do you, do you feel like, you know, because I always hear words have power, right? And do you feel like that sometimes just the choice of words creates barriers or limits opportunities to, you know, listen, to learn? Like you, you're talking about pro-life or pro-choice, right? If you, right, it's funny we have two pros because, you know, the, the opposite's anti-life or anti-choice, right? So it kind of yeah. puts, puts this kind of spin on things. But is that like right. kind of a barrier to, you know, listen, to learn? Sure. I mean, language really, we, it, we, it's really important if we stop and think about what is the language implying. So when we talk about social distancing, which is a phrase that suddenly everybody knows, it's not social distancing, it's physical distancing. We don't want to be socially distanced and we aren't, you know, but if we're using language that implies that it doesn't help the cause of, of wanting to connect. And I wanted to give you an example of something I've been trying recently that I call story swaps. And a story swap is where you invite another person, like I invited a neighbor of mine who is a supporter of President Trump. And I said to her, would you would you join me in a story swap? I will tell you my life story. I'll take about 20 minutes or so. And then I'd like you to repeat my life story back to me and the first person as if it happened to you. And then I will do the same for you. And it's amazing what happens when you actually tell somebody else's story and sort of step into it and also hear it. Now, you have to listen pretty carefully if you know you're going to be reporting, saying it back to the other person. You pay attention. But I also learned that a lot of my assumptions about my my friend when she said she was for President Trump, I assumed a lot about her past, her beliefs, her upbringing. I was completely wrong. So it was very helpful. We didn't talk politics. We didn't mention President Trump. We just shared our stories. And I've been encouraging people I know to try that. Try it with somebody you know and like and agree with, just to have the experience of stepping into one another's stories. And then try it in a little more risky way. Okay, let me try this with somebody I don't agree with. And let's see where we go if they're willing. You know, so... Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. That, I think it's. I think it's very powerful. I mean, I think what you're talking about is is cultivating empathy, and uh, you know, the big part of the show, changing the story, is about. To Neil's earlier point, is the power of words by creating stories by using words. If you, it gives you an ideal that you can move toward, 
Uh, but I think what you're, what you're saying also is the other power of story, and that reminds me of what I've heard about uh, reading novels. Uh, it's been well documented that people that read more novels are actually more empathetic because they have the ability to place themselves in the shoes of the protagonist. And by doing what you're saying, by the way, I just took a meeting before this with provisors and we did the exact same thing. It wasn't pe for people that were against each other. We're doing it for business. But by having to say someone's story in, in their, uh, you know, their own voice, you get to know them better. But what you're saying is to me at the core of the problems that we're having right now, especially when it comes to the riots, where we don't feel empathetic to other people. You, you mentioned going back and seeing things in terms of, of gray. But I think we, we view things in terms of black and white. And so we're very reluctant to want to get past that. We're very siloed in our opinions. But if you have to hear somebody's story and then repeat it and listen, like you said, listen very consciously and very carefully, it kind of allows that empathy to take place. Yeah. And, and I'm also reminded in terms of the stories that the old story, so to speak, the narrative we've been living out of, when we say he was really successful, people generally think that means he made a lot of money, very successful. Mm -hmm. If we say this person experienced wealth, we assume that's about money. But success doesn't have to have anything to do with money, and wealth could have a completely, and does alternately have other definitions. So for me, the, the original story, the story we've been living out of, but not necessarily conscious of, has a language of us and them, of one group oppressing another, whether it's you know along gender lines or along racial lines or, or economic lines and so on. And it, it has assumptions behind it, assuming that war is somehow necessary and inevitable um, and, and assuming that progress and growth can go on exponentially forever. So the new story is, you know, what, what really constitutes well-being and wealth and success? And is it living in a community where everyone's basic needs are being met? So what we're doing here along the coast where I live, there's a number of small towns. It hasn't happened yet. I'm about, I'm proposing it. It's just now starting. But the idea is let's be a sample community where we agree that we want to be sure everyone is, is sheltered and adequately fed and adequately educated and so on, all those basic needs, not a safety net where you catch people because they're falling, but a real basic belief that we all have those rights. Let's start with that and let's expand that all the way to the limits where the, where the environment and the, the ecology in which we live, the bioregion, is not overly taxed. So it's finding that middle ground. Um, and I think, I think that's possible. I think it's possible for people to agree that's important and then take a look and say, well, how are we doing in, in, along these various markers and where do we wanna go? And then what are the steps people can begin to take? So I have my fingers crossed that we'll get enough traction for this idea that we can try it out. Well, I, I think that's fantastic and that's the right mindset, but I also know it's hard to get that mindset, right? There's a lot of implicit bias. We apply these unconscious stereotypes to, you know, to people without realizing it. I mean, what could like someone like I do to be better at not doing that, right? How do, how do I take the right steps so that I'm listening, listening properly? Yeah, it's, I don't know that I have any instant advice for that sort of human dilemma. Um, but certainly it starts with our ability to look at, to discover where we're doing that first um, mm -hmm. and to be really careful about the language we use. 
And my husband and I try to kind of remind each other if one of us is going off, you know, in a very angry, judgmental way because of something we heard on the news, that, okay, let's rein that in and say, what, what do we do with this? How can we make this better? You know, just to try to kind of stay on the side of being grateful for what's working and hopeful for what's possible because it's very easy right now to be frightened and angry. I mean, I, I can't imagine, I couldn't have imagined three months ago living in a time of such enormous uncertainty. Right. Um, it feels like we're being called upon in some grandiose way to really change, to really right. take a look at what we've been doing and, 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 and make some substantial changes. Now, when, you know, Andrew Yang was saying, oh, let's give everybody a universal basic income, people were like, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, all of a sudden, those checks are being sent out, right. you know, in waves. So when pushed, we're capable of, of change. Yeah, I and mean, there's uh, time for that. Sorry, I felt like I was cutting you off there. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, if you were to go back three months ago, who could ever imagine 2020 would be just so volatile, so disruptive. Um, in some ways, going back to storytelling for a moment, it reminds me of the hero's journey. And if you think about a hero's journey, there is the ordinary world where the character, let's say it's Luke Skywalker. He's going about his business. He's a farm boy. And then circumstances conspire to shift, to get him out of his comfort zone. And if, and if it were not for that inciting incident, then he wouldn't have that personal development. So it feels like, uh, for whatever reason, I think we know most of those reasons, we have not been going on the path that's to our, our highest value. And the circumstances have conspired in, in many forms, uh, COVID-19 being the biggest one, to, to really shake things up and to uh, force us to change and become better people. Yes, I mean, hopefully we can see this as, as that very opportunity to make, to make those, that level of change. And it sort of feels sometimes I think, well, is Mother Nature or the universe or whatever great intelligence is out there trying to get our attention? Like, OK, how, how about some fires and floods? That, that wasn't enough for you. How about a little right. plague of locusts? All these biblical level things that are happening. Um, and, it, and now COVID-19. So it's a wake up call. And um, because. It's also the message that keeps coming through all these things is that we're really all in this together. I mean, it's a phrase that that's very popular right now that was not common at all just a little while ago. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the news, um, Lester Holt says, "Take care of yourselves and take care of each other." He's been saying that every night since COVID. That's a great message. You know, that's that ought to be the message that that we're we're living. And I'm also encourage that there are generations coming up. Um, It's almost like people like who are 10 and 11 right now, for example, are a fabulous example. So many of these kids really want to do something good for the world. They're willing to be generous. They're willing to spend a lot of time and energy helping where they can. And so we may be evolving as a species to produce more and more generations of people who really care for the planet and care for life, including human life on the planet. So maybe that's where evolution can take a leap. It sometimes evolution is steady, but it also sometimes is a big jump. So I'm also hopeful that when I listen to some of these kids, I'm, I'm like they really get it. So let that you know, let's support them and help them have their voices heard, and uh, have them be adequately educated and supported to do the work they want to do in the world. 
hundred uh, percent. And I, I believe most people are actually good. And it, it's funny, right? You know, I, I feel like for the media, bad news is good news, right? They, they want some controversy, something. And it's funny. I was on a call with some people from South America this morning and they were asking me like, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, we're all right. And they're like, we mean all right. They're like, the country's imploding. There's like riots and terrorists. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? And they're like, well, we see the news and stuff. And I, just, I realized, oh, you know, look, there's a lot of people out there protesting, right? And they're protesting peacefully, right? They see it, rightfully so an injustice and a chance to actually take action and try and correct, you know, what's a problem. And it doesn't mean that all police are bad or anything like that, but there's a small percentage of people out there that are taking advantage. And they are, yeah, they're looting and they're robbing and they're destroying property. But that's a small percentage, I think, of yeah. all the people out there. And that message got lost, I think got lost in the media. But then I also kind of stepped back for a second and realized, you know, there's some people in a whole different continent that, you know, I, I, I know, but not know like friends but they were generally concerned about like my, my family's welfare. Yeah. I really felt like, you know, this, this is kind of that shining human moment. Yes. Like we don't do enough to uplift that or share those type of stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad that our brains are sort of designed to focus on danger and scan for danger. And we get some good news and we don't hold on to that as long as, as we do the bad news. Um, and I wanted to also just tell you a little bit. I mentioned the World Cafe earlier, but I wanted to tell you a little more about it because it's something anyone can design and facilitate pretty easily. There is a website, theworldcafe.com. And, what, and so we have people come in and we set it up like a cafe, ideally tables of four. Everyone in the cafe is going to be addressing the same question at their table. And it needs to be a question that matters and isn't that easy to just answer. So a question for these times might be, what is now possible or what is now necessary that wasn't before, that wasn't possible before? And people talk at their tables. There's paper and markers and things. So if they want to take notes, they can do that. But then after about 15 minutes, one person stays and the other three scatter to new tables. So they mix it up and you do a few rounds like that. So people have sat with others. They've heard, they've explored these ideas. And then we ask them to pause for a minute and reflect on what they heard and notes they may have taken and answer, what did you hear that you'd like the whole group to be aware of? And we have someone with mural paper and markers who draws and writes on the wall, all the ideas that emerge that people want to share. And what happens is there's a collective intelligence in that room, in any room, in any group of people that's greater than the individual intelligence. And what you can really see it there. So when I've done this with various businesses who have huge problems that feel insurmountable, we get enough people in the room from all levels of an organization exploring a question, being kind, listening to learn, making sure every voice is heard, listening for patterns or themes that are emerging. And what comes out of it is just phenomenal. Even with groups of people who are very much at odds with one another, they can still collectively solve problems. So I've been very encouraged by that simple process. And it's taking place all over the world. It really took off a number of years ago and continues including online now as well of course that's awesome uh it, it, it seems like an emergent phenomenon what you're talking about and uh one, one of my favorite podcasts is uh, called make me smart and the tagline is none of us is as smart as all of us 
And I, I see that um, when, I, when I teach classes, when I, I teach at Chapman and, and we do these workshops with these scripts. And so when that happens, someone submits a script and you'll hear advice. It's, it's like a writing critique group. If you've ever had that, I'm sure you've had that experience where you may have never thought of something, but that person over there thought of something. And the power of having all of these ideas and all these brains in the room, really, I mean, that's the idea behind a think tank where you get access to so much. And I think there is really something powerful. And if there is perhaps a, a silver lining coming out of COVID-19 is now we are really people who were averse or didn't, just didn't use Zoom in their everyday lives. They're doing this. They're having these conversations, like Neil mentioned, the, the individual that was on all the way across the other side of the world. We're now doing this more often. And by connecting those, those intelligences and those minds, all these different places, we can have that emergent phenomenon. We can begin to solve things in ways we couldn't just with one or two minds working on them. Yeah. And, and when you do a process like the World Cafe, people feel heard. We make sure everybody has, has a voice. And I've done this in rooms where we literally had 3,000 people in a big ballroom for a conference like Systems Thinking in Action Conference. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room because you're talking to three other people and they're listening to you and, and everybody's getting you know a chance. And when people feel heard and seen, so to speak, um, I think it really cuts into a lot of the anger and judgment that that we're sometimes seeing emerge in our society. You know, if you get people together under those circumstances, uh, it brings out the best in them. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm quite the optimist. No, no <laughs> secret there. Um, let's say we 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 go down this path because I'm hopeful we we do as a society, and we learn we listen to learn. We're doing a better job. What do you think the world will be like in 2030? Where do you, what kind of plateau, I shouldn't really say a plateau, but what's the next evolution you think we'll achieve by doing this? Well, let's see. I would hope that we might be in, we might have returned to a sense of a village where, where you, you have a connection with a couple hundred other people, you know their names, um, you see them on the street. It's not that you don't travel in wider circles, but you have your sort of home village. And those villages are people are responsible for one another. You know, it used to be that, if, you know, a lot of and there's still a lot of neighborhoods where if a kid is out doing misbehaving, anybody in the neighborhood can tell them, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that. You don't have to wait for the parent to take on that role. Um, where if somebody is having hard times or an older person who can't get out or whatever, people are looking out for each other. It's a real basic, simple kind of thing we would be returning to on that level. But we could also use all the benefits of the technology that's emerging and, and so many answers that are being provided by technology that it takes it up to a whole other level and enables things that weren't possible before. People may not have to work so many hours and be so incredibly overwhelmingly busy in their lives um, and sort of frantic in their behavior. People could spend more time outdoors. They could grow community gardens. They could, you know, really clean up their environment and take care of it. And th there's been evidence that the more people know about their bioregion, the more attention they pay to it, the more they care for it. So if you're rushing around and driving home and, you know, after a long commute and you're not going to stop and, and notice anything about your environment. So people would have that extra time to be present and grateful for, for what they have. I love that. And uh, it, it seems a continuation of what you're talking about with uh, what you're doing in your community. And what came to mind when you said that is, 
I mean, if we think about all the time that we spend on things that aren't that important, all of the things that we're constantly rushing about, all of the, let's say, just dealing with calling the, your healthcare provider and trying to be reimbursed, how long that can take. Unfortunately, my, my wife has to do it for us, and, and we have two young kids, and that can take the whole day dealing with that. And I'm thinking to myself, as you're saying that, how amazing that would be if our just if we had a baseline of things covered in our lives, and that comes down to shelter, food, all the things that make life worth living. In a sense, we're, we're, we're solving Maslow's hierarchy. We're taking care of the most immediate things. It would be amazing what would, what would come out of that in terms of people having free freedom and free time to do the things you're talking about. If that was the case in 2030, what, what might that look like to you in terms of human potential? Well, I think what you're saying about, for example, the insurance company, it, the, the amount of frustration and time that we now spend would be freed up. We could be learning more. I mean, during this time, I've been taking some master classes um, mm. online. I've been learning a lot. Um, people could take up new hobbies. People could mentor uh, an apprentice and learn from one another. One of the things that's happening in our community right now, and there could be more things like this, is that the homeless population are people who have been trained to work um, in, in basic farming and agriculture. All of the food that they help grow is organic and fresh, and it's delivered back into the town, and it's fed to children who need who, families who need food for their children and for the whole family. Um, and so actually the, the people who need food the most are getting the healthiest, freshest right off the farm. Um, and the people who are homeless are becoming not homeless because they have a skill and they're, they're earning money. And one guy said, you know, I earned enough money. I bought a truck. Now I've got a whole other business that I can do with my truck. You know, so so it's using using a kind of a circular economy to, and engaging lots of different people uh, all, to the benefit of all. That's uh, no, that, that's fantastic. And I, I kind of hope we do return to that kind of model because yeah. they were a community where social people or social animals, we like to say. Um, I mean, given all this, Nancy, you know, if, if people would like to learn more about your work and some of the things that you're doing or, you know, get, get involved, what's the best way to connect with you, follow you? Well, I've got an, I'm part of an Instagram post that's called Living the New Story. And you'll see a series of images, which are little drawings I did. If you click on it, it tells you something that's going on and says, what if something that's possible? And if you go there and you see some of those and you like them, you can email me livingthenewsstory at gmail.com and we will post your idea and I'll illustrate it and put it up there. So that's one way. I'm, I recommend anybody in my generation, um, if you're interested, we have the Elders Action Network, E-A-N. The Elders Action Network is, is across the whole country. And we're a bunch of ex-hippie protesters, and now we're coming around again um, after, you know, many of us were protesting in the 60s in college. So we're back. That's awesome. The, those are some good ways to connect with me. Well, thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for coming on our show today. This was very enlightening. Good, this has been fantastic. Living the story on changing the story. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Got it. <laughs> thank you again. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe 
and share it with your friends. Thank you.